0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Last week, I embarked on a series of teachings saying that as a fellowship, we have entered a season, uh, a prophetic season. Of beautiful repentance and I shared all about that last week I don't want to go into all the nitty-gritty of that you're welcome to go and download the message and listen to that I'll say a few things just to bring us back up to speed and get us on par from where we left off last week we looked at the book of Malachi and we looked at what the prophet said to the nation of Israel and how God spoke to the nation of Israel And what we learned from them is that they were completely oblivious about the true state of their heart. God said, you have dishonored me. And they said, how have we dishonored you? And you have robbed me, and how have we robbed you? And you have offended me, and how have we offended you? There's this absolute obliviousness to the way God is feeling towards them. And they're carrying on with their religious duty, thinking that they're in a good place and that God is pleased. We also look at at the letter that John wrote Uh, in in the book of Revelation where Jesus spoke to the church in Laodicea and he says you are neither hot nor cold I wish you were hot or cold Uh, but because you are lukewarm I'm going to spew you from my mouth you think, you say we are rich and we have need of nothing whereas in fact you are miserable, blind poor and wretched some seriously strong words and the point that we got to last week is that God does not need convincing about our motives and about the state of our hearts. We do. We need convincing of our spiritual condition. Not God. God knows exactly where we are at. We need convincing of our need for Jesus. (laughs) God knows. That's why He sent Him. We need conviction of our depravity without Jesus, which comes when we have a revelation of the greatness of His love towards us. It's not God who needs to be reminded of how much he loves us. And get God, you know, have you, maybe you've got kids and maybe they do that. If you love me, maybe you do that to your spouse. If you really love me, won't you get up and go fetch me something from the kitchen? If you really love me, you would do it. And sometimes we kind of do that with God as well. We kind of try and play this game to remind him, you know, and say, well, if you really loved me, Lord. It's not him who needs reminding, it's us. We spoke about repentance and what repentance means. In the Greek, it comes from the word metamorphosis. In other words, there's a change that takes place within us where we take on another form. In the Hebrew, it has to do with turning, or turning from, or turning to. And so we understand that the the, the concept of repentance is turning or changing our hearts and minds from pursuing one thing to pursuing something else. We've wrongfully been taught that we can just sort of come to church Pray a quick prayer, and everything in our life is just fixed. We come to the altar, we shed some tears. Maybe if it's a, it's a good Sunday, we fall over, and then we, we leave. We leave, but unchanged. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. Real change is required. And here's the good news. The call to repentance does not consider what your struggle is. It doesn't consider your financial state. It doesn't consider the color of your skin. It doesn't consider how badly you've messed up or how long you've been messing up badly, how long you've been going in the wrong direction. It doesn't consider any of those things. The call to repentance simply, no matter where you are, points you to Jesus. That's all it does. Because He is... What did Jesus say of Himself? I am the way, the truth... And the life that revelation you need it's truth that you need i am that truth and when you find me you will find the truth when you find me you will find the way the direction that you should be going in the orientation of your heart and this is the purpose of the season of beautiful repentance that's why i say it's beautiful because it's a season in which god is speaking to his people within our local fellowship but in his church at large calling them back to the heart of Jesus. Now, folks, this is not an instantaneous event. Sure, we set a course and we get on with it. That happens with a decision. But this is a journey that we go on. If I leave here now to go home, wouldn't it be great if I left and landed at home and it just kind of happened instantaneously? Well, it doesn't. There's a journey, and the journey is fraught with cars and motorbikes and taxis. (laughs) A lot like life. And what that means is along the way I'm gonna have to apply the brakes sometimes. Along the way I'm gonna hit the highway and I'm gonna cruise. Along the way I may have to stop and wait. And along the way I might lose my patience and mess up. Along the way I might even get lost. But my destination doesn't change. And when I get lost, and when I have to stop, and when I go on a detour, and when I mess up, it's like the GPS recalibrating. Recalibrating. By the way, it's never a good idea to punch in a graveyard as your destination. As soon as you arrive, you have reached your final destination. (laughs) It's not good. Any real and authentic change that you and I have in our lives towards Christ-likeness and towards godliness did not come from you or from me. It didn't come out of your goodness or your hard work or your trying or your striving. It came as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit within you, bringing about life and transformation that begins to show itself on the outside. We need to understand this basic truth. The Bible says that My good works to Him are as filthy rags. The best that I have to bring is never going to be good enough. I can't reach this place. Uh, I'm just not able to do it. But I can yield to the One who is able to take me there, who is able to work something in me that is so transformational that a metamorphosis takes place. I've shared the story with you before, but one of the... One of the greatest things that made me sit and realize the work that Holy Spirit had done in my life was when I met somebody, years after I'd met them, I knew them before. I knew them when I was much younger. And then we didn't see each other for many, many years. And we came to know each other again. And this person was quite perturbed that she was going to have to keep company with me in a certain social setting. But after a few occasions of this happening, she said to me one day, Michael, what changed you? And I hadn't really noticed. You see, some people have a conversion experience and instantly stuff changes. Instantly they're delivered from you know, foul language and smoking and drunk habits. And, and, and they're instantly delivered and their heart is on fire for God. They don't even have to work on it. They don't have to stoke it. And they just changed. Instantaneously God does something powerful and amazing in them. Some people start walking and doing miracles and things like that. Punks. <laughs> But others are like me, who took a long time. And God was incredibly patient and incredibly gracious with me along the way. And I haven't arrived, I'm still on my journey, but praise God, I am not where I used to be. That's the journey of repentance. You can call it sanctification, consecration, all those things are a part of it. I don't want to go into that stuff today. But I want you to catch the heart that God is calling us deeper and higher into His heart. Why? Because He has so much more for us that we can't enjoy or partake in as long as we are still gripped and our hearts and our affection is still gripped by the things of this world. There's so much more of Him that Jesus has given us that kind of lies dormant in our lives because we've not yet learned to engage with it. Today, as much as we have spoken about the fact that we cannot do this work ourselves. We are reliant on the Holy Spirit. What I want to share with you is the role that we play in cooperating with Him. Because Holy Spirit doesn't just do it in and of Himself, it's not an automatic work. I wish it was. Wouldn't that be great? But the Bible tells us that we have to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms this morning, and we're going to study the Psalm number 24. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to stop along the way, because it's not a long psalm. Let's read it, and I will then stop along the way and highlight certain things after we've read the whole psalm. Psalm 24, it says this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. Selah, in other words, contemplative pause. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up. And the King of glory, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The flow of the psalm begins with God and it ends with God. It begins saying, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all that dwell therein. In other words, it acknowledges Elohim, all powerful creator, God, almighty. And it ends with recognizing him again, saying, He is Lord, to him belong glory. And honor and in the midst there's this journey that you and I walk throughout our lives that you and I walk on a daily basis who may ascend the hill of the Lord that represents the place where God's presence dwells we understand this is an old covenant psalm and God's presence was on the hill who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place What does it take? What am I going to need to do to be able to enter into His holy presence? And then He goes on to answer it. He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. That speaks about an alignment between actions and intentions. Clean hands speaks about life, my actions, my works, the way I live. A pure heart speaks about intentions. Who has not lifted up his soul To an idol. What is an idol? An idol is not just a kind of a statue, but if you think of the great commandment, God says, you will have no other gods before me. No other idols. What he means is, nothing else that has a controlling influence over your life. Some influences in our lives are good. I'm hoping to influence you this morning in a positive way towards God. But that's not idolatry. Idolatry is when something has a controlling influence in my life. It becomes a motivating factor for what I do and why I do it. That can be anything from a spouse, a parent, children. Many parents idolize their children and they build their whole lives around them. It can be money, a career. It could be anything that holds an a controlling influence over our lives. And then he says, Nor has sworn deceitfully. One who has a heart like this shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. To which all of you are saying, Okay, which one of you are going up the mountain? Because I'm kind of stuck here for now. I've got some stuff to sort out, right? We all kind of feel that way. We all feel the weight of our own sin. We feel the weight of our own unworthiness. Clean hands. Corona, Lord. I sanitized this morning. Am I still good? Pure heart, my motives. Are they all right and pure before you, Lord? But then the psalm begins to take a turn. And it begins to answer who the people are who have clean hands and a pure heart. It says, this is Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the the generation of those with whom God has made a covenant, a covenant of faith which was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, to be in right standing with God, in other words, clean hands, pure heart, able to ascend the hill of the Lord and be in His presence. And then he goes on to say what this covenant people looks like. What is the attribute, the outstanding significant thing that qualifies them to come into this place? They are the generation of those who seek Him, who seek His face. They have made God their pursuit. There is a desire within them to ascend the hill and to get to His presence and to do whatever it takes to to get there. Understanding that they can't get there, God makes covenant with them and gives them systems whereby they can come into His presence. But if you look back at the book of Exodus and you see Moses bringing the people out of Egypt and he takes them out and eventually, in in the wilderness, God comes down to meet his people. And what is the first response that the people have to this awesome event where they are invited up into the presence of God? It's the exact same response I spoke to you about just now. Moses, you go. We don't want to go in there. We're afraid for ourselves we're afraid that we will be consumed we that scary stuff over there Moses you go you go and tell us what he says and then we'll decide what to do folks this is still very very much the attitude of those who are believers in the new covenant sense who have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and we think that that's cool and that's good and that's a good start yes But if our hearts are apathetic towards the things of God, if that pursuit and the desire of our hearts is not to ascend the hill to His presence, I want to say to you there's something wrong. The question, who may ascend the hill, is a prophetic call for you and I to evaluate our hearts. And therein lies a big problem. Here's why. Much like the nation of Israel under Malachi, And much like the Laodicean church, we are pretty lousy at evaluating the condition of our hearts. We are not good at it. We come to all kinds of wrongful conclusions through religiosity, thinking that we can sort out the state of our hearts through outward actions and the things that we do. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Boy, doesn't that fill you with encouragement. My own heart is desperately wicked, filling me with deceit. The message says it this way. I'll read 9 and 10. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. It's not just women. That's all of our hearts, okay? But God does not leave us there. But I, God, I search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Isn't that incredible? God says, you can evaluate your heart till the cows come home. But until you start hearing from me about how I feel about you and about your condition, you're going to be groping in the dark. I know your heart and I love you anyways. I know your heart and I want to reveal to you the truth so that that truth will point you to Jesus. So that I can elevate you from a truth that is carnal, that is fleshly, that is based on your circumstances and how you are feeling, to a truth of where I have established you in heavenly realms as victorious, over sin, forgiven, healed, cleansed, and free." Our need for clean hands and a pure heart are the markers that point us to Jesus. When we recognize our need for that, we have the right right heart's response is, not God, I'm afraid of you, I need to run away. It's the understanding that, God, I need to turn to you because you are the only way. Spurgeon said this, Our Lord Jesus Christ could ascend into the hill of the Lord because His hands were clean and His heart was pure. And if we, by faith in Him are conformed to His image, we shall enter too. Remember, repentance is all about turning to Jesus, looking to Him. You see, when I begin asking God, where is it, Lord, in my life that I don't have clean hands and I don't have a pure heart, I begin to enter a place where He can begin dealing with my pride. My pride is my rights, my desires, my deservedness, my sense of self-righteousness, and God begins to work in that area of our hearts. When we begin praying prayers like that, it's a resignation of the presidency of our own hearts. We begin to say, Lord, I want you to be Lord, master in this place, not me. Come and lead me. Come and show me. I also find it fascinating that the Scripture says this is the generation of those who seek Him and seek His face. A generation is not just a person. It is a body of people. What does that mean? That means that this journey of repentance, while it is very much a personal thing between me and God, it is also a very communal thing where we journey this together in a place of accountability and encouragement and strength and upliftment. What does it mean to build a safe house? Isn't that what God has called us to do? To be a safe house for people, where they can come as they are and be safe, not judged, and help them restore their relationship with God and come to a place of strength and of liberty in Him. Is that not what God has called and destined us to be? That's not an individual. That's not up to me, folks. That's not my job. Just because I'm the pastor here. That's our job. To walk with people. To love them. To put their, our arms around them and lift them up. Point them to Jesus and help them on the way. David had the right attitude. Psalm 139, 23-24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxieties. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life you see we need eyes to see God's perspective we need ears to hear his thoughts and we need a heart that will embrace and welcome his correction and his guidance it's not just about reading my Bible it's not just about coming to church it's about opening my heart open up you gates that the King of glory may come in. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. I have so much to share with you today, and I realize I'm not going to get through it all, but I want to... Let's go to one more scripture. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is an incredible portion of scripture. It's it's, It's the parable of the sower which we all know very well. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. But in verses 10 to 12, something there's a very interesting conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus has now given the parable of the sower. The sower casts the seed. Some of the seed fell on the hard ground. The birds came and just took it away immediately. Some of it fell on rocky ground, sprung up, With excitement and enthusiasm, and then once it found resistance, it withered up and died. Other seed fell among the thorny ground, which grew and started growing, but also weeds were growing with it, which choked it. And then finally, he says, some were sown among good soil and produced a harvest, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And then it goes on to say in verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So this is not just the twelve disciples that he's saying this to, but there was a remnant, there was a group of people that remained behind once everybody else had dispersed because they were enthusiastic, they wanted to understand what... Jesus just spoke this parable, they didn't understand what it was meant for. And he said to them... To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Let me explain something to you folks. We think parables are stories to make understanding the kingdom easier for us. That's not true. Parables are there to obscure the message. So that only those who are sincere in their pursuit will discover the mysteries locked within them. So he says, to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that seeing they may not see and not perceive, hearing they may not hear and understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Wow, now hang on a second, Jesus, this seems kind of contradictory here. I thought you came to forgive people their sins, and now you're telling parables so that people's sins can't be forgiven. How is this all working itself out? Why would you not want them to hear the word and be forgiven? Well, the truth is, Jesus knew already what the state of their hearts was, and I don't want to go into too much of that, but there is a clear indication here where Jesus has a group of people who are sincerely pursuing Him, and a multitude of people who are coming after Him for what they can get. And once He's given His message, they think they've got what they've got for the day, and they go about their business again. There's nothing in them that pushes to the next level. There's nothing in them that takes that word and wants to press into it, and and there's no hard pursuit for intimacy with Jesus. I was once praying for somebody and I was praying, God, they just don't see it. Sometimes I feel arrogant when I pray that kind of prayer because it's like, oh, I see something and they don't. And I don't like that. But as I'm I'm, I'm wrestling with God on this one. But I see what's going on in their life. I see the struggle that they're having. I know what your word says about that situation, but they're just not seeing it. I can see they're not seeing it because of the fruit. And I'm saying, God, give them eyes to see, give them ears to hear. And I was thinking about the psalm, and then I realized, I don't really fully understand what eyes to see and ears to hear means. God, what do you mean they have eyes to see? Give them a heart to understand. What are seeing eyes? What does that look like practically? What are hearing ears? We're not talking about natural eyes and physical ears. We're talking about a condition of the heart. I'm saying, God, what is that condition of the heart? And as I pondered and meditated on it, the Lord said to me that seeing eyes and hearing ears are an intentional pursuit towards God and obedience. I want you to catch those two. In other words, somebody who has seeing eyes and a hearing ear is somebody who is pursuing the Word of God, the knowledge of the truth, with the intention of following it and obeying it. You see... Why would I tell you the truth about everlasting life, knowing that you're not going to follow in it? Now you have grounds for eternal condemnation. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to tell this to everybody, because it's going to be their condemnation. I would rather wait until they reach a time when they are ready, and then they will come and they will pursue, and my word will be there ready and waiting for them to show them the truth. But in this condition, if I give it to them now, they're not ready to take it. They're not ready to bear it. I found something also online as I was preparing, and it just articulated this revelation I had so beautifully. It said this, Jesus speaks in parables to the assembled crowd, giving them an opportunity to decide how much spiritual truth they want to absorb. The disciples, wanting to learn more, ask Jesus to explain the meaning of the parables He has taught. As Jesus explains these ideas, He demonstrates that a person's spiritual knowledge is based on their willingness to pursue truth. You see, the answer to this parable and understanding the comments of Jesus are actually found in the very parable. It's the kind of heart that it takes. Hearing ears, seeing eyes, has to do with the attitude of our hearts. Is your heart stony? (laughs) Is everything I say to you just going to be eaten away before you get to the lunch table? Is what I share with you today going to find resistance in your life because of either pride or insecurities or fears or things you've already made up your mind on and you're not prepared to yield, rocky ground? Is the word you hear today in this call to beautiful repentance going to be choked up in the week you're about to have with the busyness of life, the cares for other things, the deceitfulness of pursuing riches? and going after things, and doing stuff, and all these responsibilities, is that going to choke up what God is trying to do in you right now? Or is there a hearing ear and a seeing eye that says, Jesus, I recognize you're talking to me at the moment, you're calling me to you, and there's a response that I need to give. The Word of God will only be effective in our lives to the degree that we engage with it, identify with it, and follow it. Let me reword that. Our relationship with Jesus, the word of God, will only be as effective as the degree to which we engage with him, identify with him and follow him. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.